0: We are at the what one student in this class has called the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. That's how do you top that, right? Uh, this is this is going to be an amazing class. I hope. Um, and so, John seventeen is is where are we at? Well, <clears throat> we have gone through the entire Gospel of John almost, and now we're at we're at chapter seventeen. This is the final discourse that the Apostle John, the disciple John records of Jesus saying before the disciples leave their room that they have had the Last Supper in and leave for the Mount of Olives. Now, um, Jesus has been going through what we call a discourse, which is essentially a big long speech of a lot of, you know, basically theological messages that Jesus has been giving to his disciples. There are many discourses in, in, in all of the Gospels, and I hope You would think that that would be the way it should be because you want to know what Jesus said. Not only what he did, but what he said. And so here we are at the end of the last discourse that Jesus has recorded in the Gospel of John. Well, if you are familiar with the Synoptic Gospels, you may be looking at this and say, well, wait a minute. Once they left, the disciples left the room where they had the Last Supper, didn't they go to the Mount of Olives and also Jesus had some teaching? And, And you would be right. So, the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke Record that once the dinner is over And all the speeches there are over Some of the disciples leave And go to the Mount of Olives Which is, um, <clears throat> if you remember here Here's our map of Jerusalem Here's the temple on Mount Zion In this day, in about 33 AD The walls of Jerusalem kind of look like that It's, it's terrible, it's, it's horrible It doesn't look like that It looks like this kind of looks like this. Here's the Temple Mount, the Antonia Fortress. <clears throat> um, then you have the city of Jerusalem. You have the upper and lower quarters. <clears throat> um, you have um, the Praetorium. You have Herod's Palace. Praetorium is where the governor, this is where uh, Pilate is living right now. He, he came here for the Passover, probably to be in town during the Passover because as you recall from the past, um, uh, the population of Jerusalem in this period was probably a few Maybe 10 or 20,000 people Which is still a lot for antiquity That's a lot of people for a city um, During the Passover it would swell to over 100,000 people at least Maybe even more than that Maybe hundreds of thousands of people <clears throat> And so um, Pilate, not wanting to miss out on an opportunity To be in front of everyone and get his glory too He, he lives in um, Caesarea Maritima Which is a, a town on the coast of Israel during the rest of the year, but during the Passover, he would actually relocate to Jerusalem so he could be in amongst the midst of all the people, and also to a certain degree to keep control. Because remember, this is a fiery bunch of religious people who show up for this kind of thing in Judea, and he wants to make sure that everyone knows that Rome is still in charge, so don't think you're going to get out of hand and don't, don't think anything stupid. So there's, there's a huge number of people. Somewhere in town, we think, maybe, John Mark's mother's house, it's a theory, um, is the place where the Last Supper is held. <clears throat> Mark, John Mark being the author of one of the Gospels. After that's over, there's this valley here called the Kidron Valley. And over here is the, what's called the Mount of Olives. As you might imagine, groves of olive orchards. And, and olive refinery um, <clears throat> buildings that we call olive presses and stuff like that. So, so anyway, after this dinner, the synoptic writers record that some of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, among them, relocate to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus gives a discourse that comes to be known as the Olivet Discourse, which is an end-of-times discourse about the end of the world. Bad times are coming, there is going to be great weeping and gnashing of teeth, but in the end, God wins, because God will redeem his His chosen ones, the ones who believe in him, and they will live in paradise forever. The gospel writer of John doesn't record that Olivet Discourse. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, if you just said that John, the disciple John, was part of the group that goes to the Mount of Olives and hears this Olivet Discourse and you think that that person wrote the Gospel of John, why wouldn't it be written and recorded in that Gospel? What do you guys think, knowing what you know about the New Testament? I feel like John really need to repeat what had already been out there. That's one. <clears throat> I think just wanted to mm-hmm. kind of. okay. that's, one, that's one idea. So he wrote
1: this, you know, what, in 90, you say? hmm <laughs> Uh, but you know and also what was his purpose of writing yeah. it that, that maybe wasn't his purpose of this letter mm-hmm. it was about the end times mm-hmm. whatever he sort of spoken about
0: yeah maybe. here's a question for you what if he did write it what if you have it in your New Testament and what if it's so big it took up its own whole book He wrote the book of Revelation. And so the critical scholar looks at this and says, there's a very good reason. You know, what Laura said and what Angela said are also true. But another reason is he decided that that discourse that took place on the Mount of Olives was so important and coincided with a revelation or apocalypsis that he received on the Isle of Patmos. It was so important. He says, I'm going to just wait. I'm going to record this in another letter, another book, and not going to deal with it here. And so the critical scholar acknowledges that John decides he's going to save all of that for the purposes of brevity and for the purposes of elaboration. I'm just going to deal with that in another writing that I will send to the churches of Asia that we have come to call it the apocalypse or revelation. And so... <clears throat> also, yep.
1: when, in the it, doesn't have some of it is... It's not end times it's near it's what's going to happen in jerusalem in like 70 a.d
0: right so this is a whole thing right so the the discussion that jesus has about the end times is this is a whole can of worms it it is yes some of it is has been interpreted to mean the destruction of jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 a.d that is coming in just a few decades um, there's overlap with, though, the end times in which is the end of the world, where right. where God will return and yeah. <laughs> and because judge that, like, the righteous. If
1: this is written in 90, mm-hmm. the destruction of Jerusalem has already happened. So some of the stuff that Jesus was talking about that had to do with the destruction of Jerusalem yeah. has already occurred. Yeah. So why talk about it when mm-hmm. it's already,
0: it's
1: already happened? Mm-hmm. It? <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So, here we are. The last discourse. Let's jump right into it. And I think I'm going to break it up because it's so rich. And there's so much here. And you can see I've already written like most of your notes for you uh, on the board. Um, Let's jump right into it. I want you to read John 17 verses 1 to 5. Who can do that for me?
2: When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, the son may glorify you since you have given me the authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you given him and this is eternal life if that they know you the only true god and Jesus Christ whom you have sent i glorify you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now that Father will glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed.
0: Right there, there is some really big stuff. Tell me what you interpret from this.
3: Obviously, Jesus wants to glorify His Father. And, uh, okay. you know, glorify me as Jesus is saying, and I'll glorify you. And they're the same, though, but a different, um, pe- uh, different part of the training, obviously. But um, Jesus wanted to glorify His Father. And He said, you know, if you do what you need to do to me, that's so why I can glorify you. <laughs>
0: What does "glorify" mean, Tim? Okay. Okay. When you think of God's glory in the Old Testament, you might imagine something spectacular, right? What were some some examples of God's glory being manifest in the Old Testament? Come up, just you know them. Tell me, what do you? What are some of them? Like the burning, bush. burning Bush. There we go.
1: You want to be wrong?
0: <laughs> There's no wrong answers. There's just answers that aren't right. <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> oh my. What else? Parting of the Red Sea. There we go. Parting of Red Sea. Like, um, what
1: can think of the mountain? But the. Where he got to take
0: command, yeah. the entire mountain was under fire yes. and like smoke for 40 days. That's pretty crazy. And yeah, Horeb, Sinai, um, uh, uh, thunder and lightning. Yep. Can
3: you say the plague before I There
0: we go. Plague. So it's not just good stuff. It's terror. It's 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 power. What else?
1: What was the, is it the, the the
0: cloud. Okay, so we've got the the cloud slash pillar of fire. (laughs) Yep, these are great. These are great. You could keep going. You could keep going all day, right? And the sense you get from God's glory here is both wondrous and terrifying. It's both awesome. And if you've read the book of Ezekiel, again, please read Ezekiel. It is fantastic. Ezekiel was so blessed and he was so shunned in his life. And I'm just going to tell you, most people treated Ezekiel like he was a street performer and they didn't take him seriously. And they said, nah, yeah, we got kicked out of our homeland, but things are great here in Persia or in Babylon. Um, we don't really care about going back. Why, are, why do you keep making it a big deal? You know, the Babylonians have their own gods and everything's fine. And here we are, we're being treated pretty well. Who cares what you have to say? And Ezekiel's like, you just don't get it. And Ezekiel, a highly trained priest, probably, who knew a great deal about the Holy Scriptures and about who God was, was, be was you know, God was revealing himself to Ezekiel in ways that he really didn't reveal himself to most other people ever. And he's trying to tell people the magnificence of God's glory and his wonder and his awesomeness. And people are just like, meh, you know? <clears throat> And you look at this, and you look at all this stuff about the glory of God, and now Jesus is, is saying this prayer, saying, God, I want to glorify you, and, as, and, and I want you to glorify me. And you think about that, and you're like, whoa, you know, when I think of glory, extrinsically, I think about these magnificent things. And, and in Ezekiel, again, getting back to that, what does Ezekiel see that is the manifestation of God's glory? What did he see? The throne of God with God on it. Now I don't know about you, but knowing what I know about the Old Testament and the New Testament, if I were to see the glory of God on his throne, that would be pretty freaking sweet. <laughs> that, that, you know, that's not like brass armadillo. Sorry, it's it's no knock. It's it's you know, it's interesting stuff, but it's not magnificent, right? Glory. So now Jesus is saying, God, I want you to glorify me. Glorify me as as I have tried to glorify you, and what do you what do you read here? For you, let me say, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him what What over who? All people. This is huge. A first century. First century Jew folks, even verses 1 through 5, their mind is being blown here. Who was given authority over all people by God in the Old Testament? Judges? In the Old Testament, up till this point, in the recorded history of the Jewish nation, who did God grant authority to someone on earth over all people? And to be glorified. Moses would be my only Moses comes close, but he is only for the Hebrews. No one, no one. I can't find anyone now. If you can find it, please tell me. Literally, no one in the Old Testament was given authority, authority over all people from God, and no one was glorified to the extent that God shared His glory with them. As Jesus is, so you have to look at this and say Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a judge or a leader. J- Jesus is not just a king. I mean, even David, who you could argue was the greatest king of of the Jewish nation, didn't even come close to that. And so Jesus is completely in his own class here. Very special. Something very special. That he might give eternal life to, meaning, Jesus to all those you have given him, and then he goes on to say this. Now, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? At least one one view of it from Jesus. To
1: know God and Jesus.
0: To know Him. So this is this is amazing, right? So. Eternal life, right? You can't just take this one sentence and say this is the only thing that eternal life means, because it doesn't. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, obviously eternal life in some ways means eternal life, like life without end, physical and spiritual life without end. Here, one aspect of eternal life is what? Knowing God, having communion with God, having a relationship with God and his son, Jesus. Whoa. Now you say to yourself, well, I thought all paths led to God, (laughs) You know, if if I'm a you know I'm a Hindu or a Muslim or or um, a Buddhist or something else, I can I can I can have eternal life too, right? Well, according to this, as I read it, a Christian who reads this would say that's not true. It can't be true. That one aspect of eternal life is that they know know God and His Son Jesus, the only true God, the only true God, one path. Folks, to salvation, does this rub people the wrong way? Do you think it rubbed the Romans the wrong way? What did the Romans believe? Everything's, you know, there's gods everywhere. The Greeks, you know, we talk about the Greeks not as a race, but as a culture. The Greeks, the Greek culture was a a pantheistic. Culture. They believed in in many, many, many gods and big gods and little gods. <clears throat> How much does this rub them the wrong way? And keep keep in mind too that, and I haven't gotten a whole lot into this in this class, and we may in the future um, <clears throat> when we talk about the return from from um, Babylon, is that in in Jerusalem and in and especially in Israel during this time maybe not so much in Judea, but well, in Judea, in Jerusalem, but certainly in Israel, there was a huge number of people who were Greek Jews. Now, what does that mean? Um, At one level, it means they spoke and wrote Greek. At least spoke Greek. Yes, that's true, but they also took Greek culture, and Greek culture meant doing all kinds of weird things that the Jews, traditional Jews, didn't do, like they believed in a pantheon of gods. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean... that every Jew believed in many gods. But it could be that it was kind of going right back to what got Israel into trouble in the first place when they were believing in Baal and in in, in, uh, uh, Ashtoreth and those kinds of things, that people were very lackadaisical about the monotheism of the Jewish nation. They were just like, yeah... My ancestors believed that there was only one God, but, you know, if I happen to wander into the Temple of Athena from time to time and make a sacrifice or talk to my friends, it's not such a big deal, right? <clears throat> you can see the slippery slope that this had. This may surprise you, but Greek, if you look at the tombs, the monuments, and, the, and you know, like the headstones that we have from the first century in Judea, 80% of them are written not in Hebrew, but in Greek, so you have this huge culture in Israel of people who kind of are accepting this idea that maybe there's all these gods of the universe and maybe it's not such a big deal to believe in one and only God. And here you have the Holy Scripture saying that they may know that you, God, Yahweh, are the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom of you as sent, you, this may surprise you, I believe this is the only place... At least in John, and maybe in all of the Gospels, where Jesus refers to himself with both names at the same time. He refers to himself as Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, and Christ, which means the Messiah or anointed one. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do, and now glorify me in your presence. With the glory I had what? What? This is huge. What? Now, if you read the first chapter of John, this should not be such a surprise to you, but let's say you didn't read that, and this is the first thing you've ever read in the New Testament. Right there. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Was Jesus created when he was born on earth? No. Did Jesus get created when God created the universe and earth with it? Folks, this is monumentally huge. Again, the author of John believes, as we do, that Jesus existed before the creation of the universe and thus he is not a created being. He is just a different aspect of God Himself. Tell me how a first century Jew would react to that. Some of them. Mm-hmm. Confusion. Confusion. Wait, you just said there was one God. In the same breath, you said there was one God, but now you've been here since, you know, I can't understand this. I can't understand it. God gives people to Jesus, and he gives them eternal life. So this is... (laughs) Now you start to think of all these circuits in your mind. You're like, well, God is giving someone to Jesus. and to Jesus, So, so the, it's circular here. A person believes that Jesus is who he says he is. He wants to commune with them. He wants to know the only true God in Jesus Christ. And when they want to do that, and they make a commitment to knowing them, then God gives them to Jesus, who is now who? What is Jesus's role here? He provides one very important thing to you. To eternal life. Yes! Eternal life! This is awesome! Look, I don't know about you. I think it's great, this idea that I can live for eternity in paradise with my creator. And that when I die, it's not just the end. Goodness gracious, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? But Jesus is the conduit. What do you guys think about all that?
4: There's a lot of times that <clears throat> Scripture tells us that God it says that God gave them over mm-hmm. to the sins of their flesh, <clears throat> or gave them over to Satan or gave, you know, to the enemy.
0: <clears throat> um, it's refreshing to this is refreshing to see
4: God, Jesus has authority over all of that. Yeah. All of that. I mean for my life personally I'm, I don't I don't have to live there anymore. I don't have to live in Babylon mm-hmm. where things are pretty good. Right? I have the opportunity to to be in the kingdom, to be under his authority where things are plagues and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Good, bad, mm-hmm. whatever, however, overall, that's a better place. It's, it's easy to just slide into comfort. He didn't say it was going to be easy, but when we're, when we're walking with him, when we, when we allow him lordship instead of just saving, mm-hmm. that's a different place. all makes sense but for me it's it's just different. He has authority over all the crap that I have to deal with. I think the
3: depth of the
0: word grace Mm. really hits home. Yes. Tell me what you mean by that Denise.
3: Uh, contemplating and thinking about Christ
0: being,
3: mm-hmm. giving us that grace that allows mm-hmm. us to spend eternity again, as you mm-hmm. said and forever in our Um absolutely is not deserved and it just, it, it just makes yep. me feel more excited because I just realize it's absolutely not something right. that I should have been given and yet yeah, mm-hmm. to be free.
0: and how is, how is that different from what a first century Jew And again, I make a big deal about the first century. Look, I'm not trying to be a jerk, and I'm certainly not trying to be um, anti-Semitic or something like that. I'm trying to, to show you what the culture was like in which this person, Jesus Christ, appears out of nowhere and throws a bomb onto the planet that changes history forever, right? This one man is responsible for probably greater change on earth than any other person that's ever come or probably will ever come again. And I'm trying to say contrast with what he's saying with what is the culture of the time. And when you say to a first century, you know, Jewish person, especially an Orthodox Jew, about grace, this free gift, it's really hard for them to swallow. Why? Because, and for rightfully so, there are plenty, from one perspective, plenty of examples in the Old Testament, which was the Hebrew Bible of God laying down a lot of rules for how you're supposed to live your life and you are responsible for following those rules. And when you didn't, guess what happened? You get smacked, right? Now, what they forget and what they tend to dismiss is the fact that even though when they erred and God smacked them upside the head, he still came back and wiped a bandage on their head and and set them free again and, and helped them to recover, right? He's, you know The greatest punishment, if you want to look at it, of all time for the Jews was their, their banishment to exile in Babylon. But guess what? He still freed them 70 years later. He's like, okay, you've learned your lesson. I think you're ready to return. You're going to return to the, to the Holy Land that I had for you in the first place, and someone is going to start putting together the final version of the Hebrew Bible. The, what we think is the final version of the Hebrew Bible that you call the Old Testament was finally finished after the, the people returned to Babylon. And I think God knew that, that that would happen. So God has always been a God of grace, He's always been a God of grace, even though he slaps you upside the head. Your parents loved you. They slapped you upside the head when you did stupid stuff because they cared about you. If they didn't care about you, they would have just been like, well, just get out, you know, and that's the end of it.
2: You know? But,
1: um, grace is a hard concept for yep. even anyone yep. in the first century and yeah. even today. Yes. Like, you know, all the other gods didn't care about yep. you, and so in order to appease them, you
0: had to do things to have them great you favor, and uh, so, definitely pagans would not understand that very easily. Yep. This is absolutely right, Laura. A pagan, pretty much anyone who's not a, a Judeo-Christian, I would say, in the world, either then or now, sees religion as an appeasement strategy. I want those words to sink in as I say them. Religion is an appeasement strategy. I am going to figure out whatever God is in charge of me or this world or or my crops or my fertility or my house or my job or my kids or my donkey or the sky, whatever. And I'm going to figure out what those gods want out of me. Appeasement means giving something to them. Now, if you are in antiquity, or even today, and you think that gods rule agriculture, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to sacrifice something of yourself in order to appease them so that you get rain, that your crops grow, that there's no disease, that there's no insects that eat them, that the temperature is moderate, and that you can make enough from the harvest to feed yourself and your family, and maybe make a little bit of money um, to sell so that you can buy more equipment. This extends to all areas of life. Let's say you want to have children, but you can't. So you're going to figure out what God or gods are in charge of fertility, and you're going to figure out why you pissed them off. What did I do to make you upset? God's a fertility. Now I'm going to figure out what I can do to make you happy. Remember, the view of religion for pagans, which is everyone who's not a Judeo-Christian, is that if there are gods of the universe, they existed, and... Exist and have created either humans were created accidentally or they created humans to serve them. But after they created humans, they realized that humans were super annoying. <laughs> and so now it's all about appeasement. I'm telling you, pagan belief is about appeasement strategies for gods. It seems, oh,
3: I'm sorry, yep. right, no, it please. It seems along those lines with the yep. appeasement strategy. They always seem to line up with some sort of self-centered, yes. selfish, how does it benefit me? Twisted, sinful act. Yes. You know, whether it's the Asher
0: Pole. Yes. Or whether it's sacrificing <clears throat> yes. somebody, or you know, they never seem to want
3: to sacrifice themselves, but we can kill the Virgin. And
0: yes. A volcano. You're absolutely right, Steve. And so part of this appeasement strategy is not appeasing them, it's appeasing myself. Guess what? And when he gets at the Asherah thing, look, this is, this is PG. I'm not going to even get into what happens about fertility around an Asherah pole, but just imagine the, the most horrible <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, sexual acts um, that are happening. Those people are enjoying that. <laughs> there is enjoyment. Look, why did it continue? Because they liked it, right? Um, <clears throat> these rituals are selfish, <clears throat> it's a total focus on themselves. I agree hundred percent with that. <clears throat> you're not sacrificing and doing all of that for your neighbor. You're not you know sacrificing your firstborn child to molech so that your neighbor's crops can be watered. you're doing it so your crops can be watered. You're doing it so that your wife can have a child. <clears throat> you're doing it so that your brother can or, or yourself, probably yourself, can recover from some kind of illness, maybe your brother, but certainly not your neighbor. How is Christianity different than all of that? This is, this is what Denise is saying about grace. Grace says, there is no such thing as an appeasement strategy. Guess what? Because no matter what you do, you still couldn't appease God anyway.
3: It's like saying, if, God, if you do this for me, I'll glorify you. Yeah. And I think we should glorify
0: God anyway. Yes. No matter <clears throat> what we have or what mm-hmm. it is. For
3: us
0: because
3: that's what we should be doing. It this it.
0: Give us. Mm-hmm. We don't deserve anything to talk about. Love results in works. And I'm gonna say it again, the, the equation is <clears throat> reverse from what most people realize here. Works leads to salvation. Works leads to grace to benefit and it's not called grace it's called benefit at that point. Christianity says it is impossible to do that. So all God is saying is all I want you to do is love me and know me. <clears throat> right here. Right here. It says in John that <clears throat> eternal life is knowing is knowing. The only true God in Jesus Christ To love, to know, loving and knowing them leads to salvation. And let me say it this way. (laughs) Loving and knowing leads to salvation, which then results in works. If your heart is good, if you truly know God and you love him, guess what? Your fruit will be evident from that. And that is the whole point. And this is really hard to get. And I get that. Okay, we've got to move on. That was five verses. We have I told you this was rich. This is great. We could do two weeks of this. You knew that because you told me. Let's do verses 6 through 19. Who would like to do that for me?
5: I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they, they have kept your word. Now they know ev- that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I know I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them... I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, may be, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth.
0: Reactions. This is almost like a course... (laughs) Every sentence here is is huge.
4: Well, just a couple minutes ago, they were like, we don't understand what's going on. What are, you still, mm-hmm. what are you even talking about here? And then he says that they have come to know everything Okay. that you've given me is from you. So they, they somehow there was a transition there that mm-hmm. they all of a sudden recognized who Jesus is.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: That's kind of the first thing that stuck out to me. It was.
0: Hmm? What does this say about their, their authority now to go out into the world? And I think this is an important point, because after this chapter, there yes, there will be the Olivet Discourse with some of the disciples, but in, in general, this is kind of like <clears throat> meeting adjourned, <laughs> right? And now the chips will fall where they may, and they need to go out into the world and really... Um, Aside from a little bit of teaching that Jesus will give post-resurrection, this is kind of the last big stuff that he gives them. It's time for them to go out into the world and tell the world about him, about Jesus. Saying and acknowledging that now they seem to understand exactly who Jesus is, and maybe they still wrestle with it, and I'll give you that, that the crucifixion still, I think, shocked them as it would anyone. But he's kind of acknowledging Jesus is now, that they kind of get it. They, I think they're finally getting it. What does that tell you about the authority now of the apostles who are about to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus? Are they going out half prepared?
2: What
4: comes to mind for me is, so I have a job trailer and it's pretty organized. If I go in there and, and I'm looking for something and I look for two or three minutes and I get a little frustrated and I can't find it because it's not in its place, And I'll go ask one of my guys, hey, do you know where such and such is? And that person says, not really sure, but I know I saw it in Mm -hmm. one of the drawers. I go back in there, you know, 10 seconds later, I find it. Because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now I have this affirmation and somebody else that believes in me. So I may still be like, yeah, I don't really Mm -hmm. think it's there. But somebody, I mean, husband and wife do this all the time my experience, just give me a little more confidence. Yeah. And, I mean, Jesus is saying, even though you don't really understand, mm-hmm. you really do
0: understand. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is nice. You really
4: get it. I like this. More than more than you give yourself credit for. He has faith something. in them to go out
1: and
0: yeah
1: do what they need. Well, he'll be with them
0: hey let's 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 talk about that because this is a really good point what has Jesus been saying to his Mm -hmm. disciples for about the past three years here every time he talks to them hey dummy you don't get it (laughs) right what is wrong with you how come I keep saying this and you don't get it he's finally telling them okay you get it now I think you get it how big would that be if the whole time this guy is saying right it
4: changes everything
0: it changes everything
4: I'm the one that's being told. I get it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... And I was saying earlier, this chapter was mm-hmm. the one for me that when I was reading through the book of John and I got to hear, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. Even, even though I didn't because mm-hmm. I still had those questions. A lot of questions. But now I believed that there were answers to it. Mm-hmm. Some of those answers I... It says somewhere, all will be revealed to me when I enter the kingdom, or when I enter mm-hmm. heaven, or face to face with Jesus, whatever right. it says. And now I can rest assured that even though I don't know everything, I know that, right? <laughs> I know that mm-hmm. someday I will know
3: everything. Mm-hmm. That's a different place to be. And we stopped at verse short, really.
2: I mean, mm-hmm. I'm praying not
3: only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their yep. message. So, mm-hmm. Guess what? That includes yeah. you and me mm-hmm. and everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's not just <clears throat>
0: 11 disciples. Mm-hmm. Want to read that part? Let's just finish it off, and then we can talk about all of it together.
5: I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them.
1: He's really he mentions unity many times between yes. verse twenty and mm-hmm. twenty-four, and then but he says it back up in like verse. Um, Eleven too. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants mm-hmm. the disciples to be one just as God and Jesus mm-hmm. are one. And so obviously Jesus really, really
2: wants the church to be mm-hmm. <laughs> filled with unity in that mm-hmm. dissension.
4: Which means the enemy really, really wants it to be. Yeah.
0: This is so big, and I think we need to emphasize this here. That as you next time you surf social media and you see your Christian brothers and sisters or non-Christian brothers and sisters bashing each other, I want you to think about this this passage because you know, it's corny, and the thing, what would Jesus do <laughs> would Jesus get on social media and bash you for what you believe? Um, he might. I, he might he might <laughs> you know it depends on the message right and, and the audience, but in general, um you know jesus Jesus bashed on the religious insti- the, the lead the, the leadership infrastructure of the Jewish nation of his day. he never really bashed a disciple, a potential disciple, and he never bashed his brothers. He would say, "Well, I just don't think you get it and and, and keep that in mind um and, and then you would explain, explain it, it to them. But the whole point here is unity. And as you read this passage here where it says, you know, and I've made a point here. Um, where did I put it? It's over here, I think. Yeah, that they may be one with each other, with God and Jesus. Just think about, are your actions promoting unity or are they promoting division? Okay? You're stronger together. The 11 of you who are about to go out into the world are stronger together than you are apart and your division will only serve to hurt you. Be unified, both in God and within each other. Love each other. Remember, the, the, the chapter right before this, Jesus makes a really big deal. I want you to love each other, as I have loved you. And and love knows no greater one than this, that a friend lays down his life for his for, for another, right? Think about your self-sacrifice. Think about this whole pagan thing. The opposite of it. I want to do something to make someone else's life better. I want to help someone else. Unity doesn't come about through selfishness, folks. It doesn't. It doesn't come about through selfishness. It comes about through you giving something to someone else and maybe giving up something that you want. Yes, that sucks sometimes. And it's hard to deal with. Guess what? In the end, you will have a much better result because of that. Well,
5: I said that when we argue with- Then
1: the world will know that God sent Jesus and that He loves
0: us just Mm -hmm. as much as He loves Jesus. Look, folks, there's a reason that Christianity grew explosively in the first and second centuries. People who were pagans saw the Christians how they stuck together, they were unified, they helped the poor, they cared for the sick, the leprous, they cared for criminals. People who were outcasts of society. And every writer from antiquity, for the first couple of centuries of, of, you know, the, you know, first and second centuries AD comments that Christians were recognized as people who were much more giving of themselves than any other selfish person in society at that time. They would help the poor, they would give money to those in need. They would do all kinds of things. They would take care of sick and dying people that others would just Cast off. Their great unity was their strength and their reason why Christianity grew so explosively in the first few centuries. Folks, it's not an accident that that happened. It's not an accident.
3: It's living in union with God that keeps our unity. It's not focusing on me. Mm-hmm. it's because I, or if I live in unity with God, yeah. then I'm in line, I'm with the vine.
0: Yeah, I, there we go.
3: Everyone else is connected
0: to that. Yeah. That's
4: it. And that we're always pointing <clears throat> pointing to him in, the, in our unity. Mm-hmm. It's because of him. Mm-hmm. Because he is united. hmm Jesus here also says he knows that not everybody's going to come. Yep. Not everybody's going to believe. Yep. Kind of offhand, just kind of like. Yeah, yeah, 11 of them did, but it was
0: a lot. Even Judas. And he (coughs) made the point. I mean, if you want to make it again, do you want to make the point again that we talked about before? Jesus knew
4: that (coughs) at least 8% of people would not, even though they walked (coughs) with him.
0: I'll see your eight percent, and I'll raise you seventy-five tonight. I'll raise you a ninety-nine percent. And the reason I say this is this: I want you to now go to the next book in the New Testament. After John is what book or letter? Acts. Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Luke. The author of Luke records that on Pentecost, which is fifty days after the resurrection. <clears throat> A group of believers, a group of what we believe the core believers of Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth. I want you to think now about Jesus' ministry on earth. Three years, probably at least three years, maybe four, give or take. How many people did Jesus heal? How many people did Jesus feed? How many people did Jesus raise from crippling uh, physical conditions how many people did Jesus raise from the dead how many people did Jesus speak to and preach to and influence how many core believers after all of that do we think and do we have evidence for in the new testament that believed Jesus was who he said he was 120 people. It's all we have, actual physical evidence. People, folks, Jesus fed 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people alone on one day on a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee to fill their bellies. <sighs> How many true core believers did Jesus have at the very end? Now, this might surprise you. How many people does Joel Osteen have in a, in a congregation on a Sunday morning for one hour? I'm not bashing on him. I'm making a point here. More than 120. How many people regularly attend a Pathway in a year? It's more than 120, right? This is hard for me to swallow. So, of all of the thousands of people that interacted with Jesus over those years and benefited from him, they got something out of it, folks. Don't get me wrong; they either got something physically out of it or they got something spiritually out of it. His message, um, you know, his sticking it to the authorities, whatever. Hundred and twenty. So I see your, I see your eight percent, and I raise you ninety-nine percent for, you know. So how sad can this make you? It can make you sad. It can make you depressed, right? But also, it, it says a lot of things here that look at all of the great things. This is like, folks, a free buffet. I have a free buffet. It's happening at noon today. I don't really, I'm just making this up. A free buffet outside, all the food you can eat. Invite anyone you want. Anyone in the world can come to it. And guess how many people might come to it? Well, not everyone in the world. So say you made enough food for everyone in the whole world. I guarantee you not everyone would come. And even that is like... You can have the answer. You can have the cure. And it still doesn't matter. There will still be people. Now I'm focusing on the negative. Now let's focus on the positive. There were 120 believers. Woo! Right? And that turned into how many after Pentecost? 5,000
3: right away.
0: Yep. That's right.
3: Really
0: and, our, and our number of believers skyrockets.
3: God was, God was in them. Yes. Like He is with us. Yes. What's our, what's our role? What are we supposed to do? That's it. Yep. That's it. That's all. That's all we have to do. That's it. Be obedient. That's what they were back
0: then. They glorified God's name. I I make a big deal about this. I said this a couple weeks ago names today are not the same as they were in antiquity before you're born today you've gone through the book your parents went through a book or books and they 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 compiled lists probably and they came up with a short list of names they wanted to name their baby and in some cases today uh, in many cases the gender is already known before birth and even that sometimes people have already released what name the baby is is going to be called when it's born um everything's kind of figured out already that is not how it worked in antiquity In antiquity when you were born, sometimes you went without a name for years. You would get a name, and, and this is amongst the most common people, you would get a name when your parents started to figure out what kind of person you were, what kind of personality you were. And, and we made the joke about Esau. He was hairy, and so Esau, you know, kind of means ruddy or, or hairy or red. Um, Maybe you're precocious, maybe you're uh, sneaky, maybe you're happy, maybe you're joyous. Um, if you were religious, you might get something religious associated to how, you know, religiously um, fervent you seem to be developing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, long story short is your name had to do with your personality, your reputation, your character. Here, when Jesus is talking about the power in God's name, he's saying about God's reputation, His character personality. Not just, you know, Yahweh or Jehovah or, or uh, I Am or something like that. What is the personality? Oh, yeah, the Like when God has many names, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Like they, He's like, Jehovah Jireh is yeah. my provider. Yeah. He, or they have like, God is my banner. And like, yep. it was revealing God's character to them. Anytime he gave them another name, yeah. that they knew a different, aspect. A different aspect of his character. Love that.
0: Right away with that. Yeah. All of Jesus' words come from God. They're not from him. The power of God's name, his reputation, his personality, who he is. Read the Old Testament, folks, and that will give you an idea of who God is and how powerful what he did through Jesus really was. And like you said, you know, Ken, you and others have said... Look, not everyone's going to believe. This this is hard to take, and sometimes it's easier to take because, in some ways, it's not all on you. This. <laughs> but
1: when you think about oh, it, so, you know, Jesus did sit around and go, "Oh, we talked to like so many people, and only a hundred and twenty yep. are here." Yes. Jesus in this thing is like, I said everything that you yep. wanted me to say, God. Yep. I didn't what you wanted me to do. I this is great. What you wanted me to do. This is great. Like, so the fact that Jesus isn't sitting around like, oh, I can't talk to people because I talk to all these people and they don't believe in me. And, you know, like we do. <laughs> you know, like, Yes. Jesus was like, God's giving me a mission. I'm going to fulfill it. And whatever the fruits of that are, that's up to God. And that's it.
0: This and is powerful. We need to be Jesus. This might God be is- one of the best messages of the day, right? Amongst many. At the end of the day, Jesus himself only had 120 close disciples. If that's true, then it doesn't matter. If you are doing what God has told you to do, and you are revealing truth, and you are acting lovingly and in unity with your Christian brothers and sisters, he'll worry about the rest. Don't worry about the numbers. He'll worry about it. He'll worry about it. You've done your part. If Jesus himself only do 120
1: yeah like he, he probably could be like oh there's only 120 yeah. but in reality there's millions and millions right today and throughout this you know over the centuries mm-hmm. all the number of Christians you've them mm-hmm. all up like mm-hmm. you know I don't know how many that is but it's a huge number right yeah no, it's, it's so a Johnny like,
0: Appleseed thing if everyone plants an apple tree then uh, soon we'll have millions right. of apple so, trees
1: like, maybe you in your own vision can only see 120 yep. or whatever but really God can see like oh, well, in the future there's you know billions and billions yep. of people that result in you, know. you know Jesus <clears throat> Jesus said you've seen me you've,
4: you've walked yep. with me you've mm-hmm. lived near me, you've watched what I've done and therefore you've seen the Father mm-hmm. what if we could say that about ourselves mm-hmm. you've, you've been around me mm-hmm. you've seen the It's a place to aspire to,
0: right? It's pretty good. At least. What's the outcome of this? What's what's the action items from John seventeen?
4: Same as always. Love.
0: Okay.
3: Don't hide don't hide it. Action. Take it into the world.
0: Hide it. Okay.
3: You have to really
0: know God. No God. How do you know God, Denise? Study His Word. Um, yeah, just. Study His Word. What else? What else do you do? Word. Pray. Listen
4: to the Spirit.
0: Listen. Do some of this. Fellowshipping? Everyone you will ever meet knows something you don't. Christians. Pray, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read it every day. Point to him. Give him credit. Here we go. And I'm going to put words in your mouth. Glorify God. Look, I've I've said this a hundred times. When you pray for a miracle, God, please help me get a better job. Please help me get a nice car. Please help me get you know my my child um, healed of a disease. Please um, heal my, my parents who were in a car accident. Whatever you want to say, are you asking for yourself? Or are you asking to glorify God? Because I will tell you this. In my experience of reading the Old and New Testaments, God always intervenes. And when he... When God intervenes, he intervenes in a way that's public and in a way that people glorify him through his actions. It's almost never private. Obviously, it's not private because we know about it now. It's not private, and it was not for selfish reasons. God acts in the world, I believe miraculously, so that you can glorify him in return. If you ask for something from God, then you have to ask yourself, well, how can I glorify God if he gives it to me? Or how can I glorify him if he doesn't? What am I what am I doing, right? Or missing here. Glorify God. Say it was him. If you ask and, and you do get God does answer your prayer, tell the whole world about it. Say how awesome God was for doing that. All right. This was great. <laughs> Woo! It rained. We prayed and it rained. And there was a rainbow. All right. It was beautiful, wasn't it? You know what the rainbow is. What? Do you remember what the rainbow means from the Old Testament? You remember after Noah's flood? There's a rainbow that that God will never flood the earth again. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.